Welcome back to Brojo Online. I have a special episode for you today. Uh, my co-founder for Brojo, Mike Wells, is actually going to interview me about my new book, The Naked Truth, and he's going to share some of his insights around honesty and the struggles we have with being honest in the real world. So sit back and relax and enjoy both of us ranting about honesty as much as you possibly can. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. So this is really interesting for me because I've never done an interview before in this way, particularly about a book, right? Uh, but I have to say, reading The Naked Truth has been really, really enjoyable. I'm only about 60% of the way through because I decided to back up and re-listen to a few chapters that I really, really enjoyed and didn't want to rush forward. But I have the paper book as well, the paper version, so I decided to flip through to some of the further chapters and make right. see what was coming. And thoroughly excited about it. This is right now my go-to audiobook at the gym. Nice. So that's a good status, man. I gotta say, I'm picky. I'm picky about what I fill my brain with at the gym. So this is your third book now. You've done you've done three. You released The Legendary Life was your first one, and that's now been like six years ago about I think. Yeah. That was I mean, that's what started everything before I was even coaching. That was my first sort of move. Just to write that book. Yeah. And what was the what was the legendary life about? If you were to sum it up. Motivation, mostly. Uh kind of a deconstruction of motivation from working with criminal offenders who are very unmotivated to change you know the stuff that actually worked with them i wanted to get very practical away from like inspirational stuff and into more like the mechanics or the cognitive mechanics of motivation how to make it happen uh it's it's so funny like i i sometimes reread my books which is like half ego and half measurement of my progress kind of thing and that one's okay but yeah, it's it's it was a long time ago, and it was really sort of focused on more about achieving results, which was where I was at at the time. That's where my head was at, where as the time has progressed, like my latest stuff is so much more about kind of inner satisfaction and um, kind of ticking off points on the board, so to speak. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how much I've changed since that first book as well. It is part of a journey, and it's sort of like mile markers along the way, which I really, which I really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. I can see that in my in my own articles as well. I'll go back to an article from even a year ago, and I'm like, wow, thinking has changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to update this, you know, it's a good sign. I think so. I think if you're not seeing that, there's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Especially with books. Books are like such a huge effort. Like if you're doing it properly. Uh, this one was three years in the making. It was so long in the making that I had to rewrite early chapters to make them sound like the later chapters. Do you know, like, as it didn't sound like those two different authors or three. Even your writing style changed along the way. Yeah, it really did. And really? I brought in an editor. That's one of the biggest differences with this particular book, why it's so much more focused and flows so much better. And what you're what's not in the book is huge like there are whole chapters removed and everything because they didn't serve the, the book uh and that's all down to this editor editor i had vedrana she um she's a philosophy phd 
and she assigns she uh, marks all the essays and stuff from the students. So she's ruthless, like academic writing, ruthless. And on the spectrum and everything, she was just perfect for this. So she tore it apart, and it's just it was like a it's like a course in writing having her edit my book. Really, it was so helpful. Brilliant. It's a bit like chucking it in the fire to see what survives the flames. And That's what I felt like. like. It was brutal. I was like, I had to like keep deflating my ego and fighting for things I wanted to keep. My beautiful little children, I had to just let her kill them. So after the, after the legendary life, you wrote Nothing to Lose about three years after that, I think. Something like about a book every three years. Mm-hmm. And tell me about Nothing to Lose. What was the theme there? Well, it's definitely, this was after you and I had really solidified the 3X model. And I'd come to the conclusion, you know, each of those three parts of the model is a whole book. And so I, I figured I'll start with the first one. You know, we talk about soft and hard values. Soft values being the ones you do naturally and easily. and Hard values being the one you struggle with. And curiosity is my soft value. Like, I've always been curious naturally. It's not something I had to try hard to do. I did well in school because of it and so on. And so the first book was just, it was like writing what I already knew, which was actually quite challenging. When you're naturally good at something, it's hard to write about because you don't know how you do it. To try and deconstruct something that you've never had to learn, so to speak. That's That book felt a bit like that. I had to deconstruct. Why is it that I'm able to at least in this area, have the strength and have things move so easily for me, like how I'm able to like update my mind all the time and so on. But we won't go into the publishing process too much. That book was also rushed. Um, I can feel it when I read it, especially the first part of it. It's kind of discombobulated a bit. It's a bit all over the place. I'm on the verge of making a good point, and then there's a big tangent and a rant. I'm like, where am I going, you know? So there's still like a lot of writing. The content, I think, was quite sort of finished in my mind. Like I'd done a lot of work there, but the writing didn't quite serve it. So yeah, as I moved on to this next book, the one that we're looking at today, I was like, okay, now I've got the idea and the writing, I think. You know, I can probably going to send the drama back to re-edit. Oh, yeah. two- it's already happening. It's already oh, happening. But, uh, nothing to lose. She's already hitting that up. Yeah. Oh, shoot. That's awesome. So The Naked Truth, it's such a great book. I got to say, the the range of topics covered in it is quite deep. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is if there was a specific idea that the book was, that the reason for writing the book was, I need to convey this message to people. What would that message be? Honesty is the cure. Of all the social and psychological suffering we have, you know, when I when I first uh, worked in Department of Corrections, I found out there's a category of crime called dishonesty offending. And at first, I was like, "Well, people get in trouble for lying," you know, like. And then I was like, "Yeah, they do. It's fraud and theft, and it's all those ones. It's all those deception ones." That was the first kind of hint that. This is such a big problem that they actually named it. And I started to realize that almost every other crime involves dishonesty. It's one of the factors. And we used to do these psychological kind of tests of assessments of criminals. 
And we always used to have to measure their dishonesty because it was like a telling factor in how likely they are to offend. A really like strong one. The more dishonest someone is, the more likely they are to commit a crime. Like it's like cause and effect relationship. And I was like, you know, there's nothing else that's in every crime. You know, this is the thing that the shoplifter has in common with the pedophile dishonesty. And uh, I got kind of obsessed with it because I'm like, fuck, if you make somebody honest, they like can't commit crimes. They'll tell everyone, you know, you can't even get away with it. You know, like, I want to beat you up. So, okay, well, it's out in the open now. It can't happen. Um, so I got like kind of obsessed with it. And then I really got obsessed with it when I realized, hey, this is the source of all my problems. You know, and that wasn't like an overnight light bulb moment or anything. But that's the kind of point is the book is based on my conclusion that if you become a really honest person, like 95% of your suffering goes away. Not immediately, certainly not immediately, especially if you've built up a world of lies that needs to be dismantled, that takes time. But once you get into like a consistent flow of integrity where you're mostly you most of the time, living by your values, being honest, the minor upsets in life are just that, they're minor. You know, all the shame, all the fucking relationship complications, all the dissatisfaction of your career, that all comes down to dishonesty, you know? So that's the point in the book. I'm trying to sell honesty, essentially. Yeah, so, and then that brings up probably the most important question I can ask you today. We've had such great discussions about the philosophy of honesty. I remember one of the sessions, uh, one of the workshops we were running in Auckland, and we got quite a few questions about what does it mean to be open and brutally honest and vulnerable in day-to-day living? And people were asking questions like, does it mean I have to give my bank pin card number out to everyone? And I thought, actually, it's, it's a really brilliant question. I can see clearly people don't understand what we mean by the word honesty. What does it mean to you? Yeah, that was a huge part of the exploration of this book. Because I took that very example you gave, I took that seriously. I'm like, you know, I can't dismiss people's questions, even if they're deliberately hypothetical and extreme, like someone's just kind of acting out. I'm like, if I'm going to become the guy who guides people on honesty, I can't ignore anybody's questions or dilemmas about it. I have to find a way to explain honesty that works for everyone. And I realized actually there isn't a set of rules you can follow. There's an art, not a science. And and the book is really about how to be an artist with honesty. Not to use honesty. I don't want to give that impression. Not as like honesty as a weapon. Um, but to understand when to speak, when not to, how to speak, and to feel like, yeah, I'm on point with that. Uh, for me, the definition of honesty is pretty simple. The way you express yourself with words and body language is an accurate representation of what's going on inside you. Your beliefs, opinions, thoughts, feelings, mood, preferences. Language will never do it all justice because it's just clouds in your mind. It doesn't even have a description. To put it into words in itself, I mean, that's why it takes us so many years just to learn how to speak. It's so hard to do. Um, but to do it in a way, you know... One way I think about it is, imagine someone could mind read. They're not going to be surprised by what they find in there. Yeah, yeah that, that pretty much matches what I'm, what I'm seeing here. Uh, and then, of course, being an honest person is like a consistent application of that over time. The character that comes out of you. It's not an identity. It's not firm and rigid. But it's like 
It's like how I know you. You you don't surprise me because you're honest. You don't do anything where I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm shocked and betrayed. But, you know, because you're like not really capable of it. The way you express yourself gives me a pretty decent uh, representation of your inner world. And I don't see deviations from that. One of the things I saw working with criminal offenders is there was always gaps in the in the facade. Yeah. There'd always be little behaviors where you're like, that doesn't line up with what I'm hearing. You know, you don't get that yeah. with an honest person. Yeah, and you can see that careful, subtle, manipulative crafting going on nonstop with with a lot of people, including people pleasers, which is a huge part of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the mindset that I have about honesty as I apply it in my own day-to-day life is very much about I want everyone to know how I feel at all times, particularly people that I care about that matter to me, right? They should know. I want people to know what I'm thinking, anything I'm concerned about, anything that matters to me. I always want everyone around me to know my intentions in every situation. That should not be hidden. I shouldn't be trying to get this, but doing that. That's bullshit, right? That's just going to create problems and frustrations and anxiety for no reason. And it was when I began orienting my thinking that way that just life got good. Mm -hmm. That was really the trigger for me was life just got good. Relationships got fun. And easy and uncomplicated. I was the one complicating them, right? That was a real eye-opener for me. So I, I can see very clearly from my own personal example how essential honesty is to building good relationships, having a good relationship with your society, with your neighbors, your employees, your bosses, your partner, your kids, you know, all of that. What interests me perhaps the most about honesty is that people struggle to be honest with themselves, too. Mm. And that's a different dynamic, and yet it carries a lot of the same characteristics. Hiding your own intentions from yourself, not being deeply authentic and honest about where you're at or what you want or how you feel. What types of things have you seen? Yeah, look, this is a... a I didn't even really include this in detail in the book, but I've come to this conclusion that honesty is held up by these two pillars, these two other values, curiosity and courage. And that is to say, dishonesty takes two forms. It's either a lack of awareness of what the truth is, so you've self-deceived, in which case you think you're being honest to others because you think it's true. Uh, or courage is a problem, so fear, you know what's true, but you're too scared to say it. So you either know what's true or you don't, and you either have the strength to say it or you don't. And a huge portion of the book, this way I did such a big bit of the book on people-pleasing, is most people don't know that they're dishonest. And the, the very lie that's killing them the most is the I'm a good, honest person lie. So no, you're not. Like, I'm not even fully honest. I've dedicated my life to it. Trust me, you're not, right? Especially if you're anything like me. You know, there's a quote from Nietzsche in the book. I don't know it word for word. I just cut and pasted in there. But something about, you know, the biggest lie is that man lies to himself. Lying to others is relatively an exception. And I think he's right about this. We don't knowingly, consciously try to deceive other people in a very sort of aware, present way. There's kind of a vague tingling at the back, like I was saying, right? But that's a very quiet voice most of the time when we're being dishonest. Most of the time, we've actually done the work beforehand to convince ourselves of the lie. 
Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, you look at what motivates dishonesty to the people around you. There's always a lie beneath it. And the lie beneath it is things like, oh, that's not okay to say. Or they won't take it well. How do you know? Right? Or society won't accept this. I feel ashamed about this. Shame is always a lie. Right? Exactly. Except for authenticity shame, which which is uh which is a whole nother area we'll go into. But yeah, that process that, that process of lying to yourself as a fundamental thing. That's amazing to me. And we were talking just, just before this about parenting, and it makes me wonder a lot because I'm certain that kids don't do that when they're born. There's some point at which there's this change in the world around them that they come into conflict with. And they have to figure out how do I negotiate this conflict? I either develop a concept of shame, let's build that right up, you know, or I start hiding things or I start manipulating people to try to create the relationships that I need to support me. And things, that's where people pleasing begins. It's where narcissism begins. It's where everything wrong with society starts is with a lie at some point. Louis C.K. does some great bits on this. Uh, he talks about, like, there's one day he talks about how his daughter has She's in, I don't know, six or seven. She's discovered lying, and he's trying to work with that. And he says, like, how do you stop a kid using this awesome solution to every problem? Like, kids are terrified of being in trouble, you know? There's nothing scarier to a kid than being in trouble. When you're an adult, you're like, fuck it, I don't care if I'm in trouble. Most of the time. When you're a kid, like, that is your nightmare. That's the demon under the bed. And then you tell a lie, and the trouble goes away, and you're like, oh, that was perfect. And you don't, you don't have the capacity to do long-term projection on this. You don't have the experience or wisdom to see the hidden downside to this quick-fix solution. My first big lie, I mean, I, I had to lie to my parents a lot because I was super strict and I got in trouble all the time if I showed them who I really was. So I, I lied a lot. But my biggest lie, I remember when I was a kid, I talk about it maybe in the book. I used to be this like very sensitive crybaby type kid. And one day I, I just sort of pretended to be hard and took on like a sort of humor about things. You know, I just started taking the piss. And all the kids just loved me for it. And I was just like, ha, oh, jackpot. You know, I just, I just turned off the tears. I pretended to be something that I really kind of wasn't. I just started very rudimentary development of a character that seemed to work really well. There was no, I mean, all I saw was I switched the bullying off, I switched the ostracism off with a simple fucking lie. It was it was really hard put, and plus I knew that adults were lying to me all the time, so it was hard put to convince me that, that was a bad move. I'm like, oh, I'm fucking winning here, you know? Yeah. But the seed was planted, I didn't realize what that was going to grow into. Ah, oh, wow. You know, I grew up in, in America. And I remember even as a young kid, I mean, you, the first lies that you're really confronted with as a kid growing up is Santa Claus. It's one of the big ones, right? Where do babies come from? It's another big one. There's a stork involved somehow. I'm not sure how that works. And then I remember even from a very young age becoming aware of how the American political system worked. You had these two parties that had two very different ideas of what the right way to live was. Very different promises about what they were going to do to improve your life. And none of them were ever carried through. Mm -hmm. I remember even at like age seven or eight going, 
So then everybody lies. Even the top people are, they're built on lies. The world is full of lies. And I thought, you just gotta, it's, it's all about dealing with the fact that this is human reality. And I just gotta navigate it with my own set of lies, my own toolkit, right? And that was really the, it felt like you were thrown in a swimming pool of lies and, you know, learn to swim. And now, now as a much more mature and world savvy uh, person with a much healthier mindset on where happiness comes from and what makes a good relationship and what makes a good society, man, I call bullshit on all of that. And I, I I would love to see what it would be like to have me start over at age five and grow up in a society where there were no lies anywhere. I want to know what that's like. Because every challenge I've ever had, every uncomfortable emotion, every point of happiness, all the conflict that I've experienced in life has has started from dishonesty. At some point, someone else being dishonest, me being too afraid to be honest, you know, shame around something that was true and needed to be shared and exposed and open, you know, being afraid to be vulnerable, being afraid of rejection. All of that's based on on dishonesty, right? So this book is much needed, I think, in the world. And I think it should probably be required reading in most schools <laughs> at age five, right? It may not be for that level, but still. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to say, too, that I really like that you went straight at the throat of the barriers to being honest. Because that's where it is, isn't it? You know, you can you can talk all day about here's how you ideally want to be in your life and with your relationships and with yourself. But then people say, yeah, but shame. And yeah, but rejection. And yeah, but society won't accept that. And yeah, but I'll hurt people, right? You know, if I'm actually honest. And yeah, but... And they'll have all sorts of reasons that seem absolutely logical and completely insurmountable to them. And I love how you just picked them off one by one and took a sledgehammer to them. So this is this is definitely something... I, I would actually recommend this to everyone that I know. I've already started telling some of my clients about it because it's one of those things that it's not just for your own developing your own sense of clarity around what is honesty and how do I practice it. But everybody you encounter in the world struggles with this too. So how do you convey to them, you know, hey, by the way, it's okay to be vulnerable around me at least. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, tell me anything you want to tell me. You're never going to be judged. You're my friend. That's what being a friend means. If you could do that to all of your friends, you would be their best friend ever, right? But how many people actually do that? How many people actually say that I'm different? You're, you're safe here. Uh, create that space where someone can be honest so they can actually experience that possibly for the first time in their lives. And that's that's where I see real power here is in this work in particular is that it is something that you can take with you into the world and and start changing people one at a time and creating that that society of friends and co-workers and family that all of us craves where we get to just be us 100 yeah, percent. that's brilliant stuff you, you kind of i think if i had to sum up what is the number one barrier to being honest is that other people aren't doing it mm -hmm. well nobody's going first i think honesty is the default setting for somebody who feels completely safe 
Like if someone's completely safe, they're not worried about consequences. They're not. They're not going to lie in that situation. There is no reason to. And and honesty will be the default. Just like I think confidence is the default until people fuck with you. You know, as a kid, you're born confident and honest, and then that gets eaten away. It. I uh, I just remember I had a moment with my my niece. She's under two. It was a few few months back, where she was going around giving fruit to everyone. You know, being like a sharing kid. But she's still not quite cool with me because I'm the weird one who doesn't speak Czech and all that. This <laughs> is. Every now and then she just reminds me of where I sit in the pecking order. And uh she was giving everyone strawberries and she had one left and she just looked me in the eyes and just really slowly put it in her mouth. You know, <laughs> she was just like, not you. And I was just like, oh, uh, my chest hurts. <laughs> um, but I was like, that's honest. Like she doesn't have the words, but I know exactly where I stand with her. I know, <laughs> I know exactly who I am to her uh, at this uh, moment. I know where the boundary lies exactly um that kind of honesty where she hasn't learned to not do that yet i was thinking the people who tell me that they are honest i've got a few like rebuttals to like break them out of there there's a few like situations where i'm like do you do this do you do that and they go oh shit and one of those is like if a friend invites you out but you just don't feel like seeing them in particular right now what do you tell them and almost no one tells the truth in that situation you know, it's like, oh, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm already... They don't say, I just don't want to see you right now. And I get why they don't want to say it. Because they, for good reason, believe the other person is going to take that really personally, it's going to hurt the relationship, so on and so forth. What they don't realize is the only reason that that hurts the relationship is because the relationship has not been made safe to be able to do that. Vedrana and I, my editor, is also a former client of mine, and also a good friend of mine. She's a very interesting person in my life. And uh, she took to the honesty thing like nobody's business because she's actually she's on the on the spectrum, and honesty just works better for them. They just don't do nuance and deceit and fairy tales and sugarcoating. They just want to hit it straight. So I was, I was kind of like, you know what, you can. Let's just fucking go for it. And you'll only have a small circle of friends, but they'll love you kind of thing. And that's exactly how it played out. And there'll be times where, like, we, we're, we're booked in to see each other every week. We've got this kind of, like, running arrangement. And if anyone, either one of us wants to cancel it for any reason, we just do. And we give the reason. We don't make up a reason. We don't sort of, like, skirt around the bush and come up. With, like, I'll just say I can't be bothered today or something. Because that's exactly why I'm cancelling. And she'll be like, sweet, see you next week. Never takes it personally. No bad reaction. We've created that freedom together. We've actually had conversations about being able to say that. So I'm going to look, you know, if you don't want to see me, just say it. She has this thing because she's, um, you know, one of the things about being on the spectrum is she doesn't know when a situation's supposed to end. Like she's gone around to someone's house. She doesn't know when she's supposed to leave. You know, she doesn't get that kind of like very subtle, like guy doing the pretend golf swing and yawning kind of thing. You know, so she's got this thing with her friends where they're like, okay, you need to go now. She's like, okay, sweet. You know, and she's got that set up. It's just so like anybody watching it would think it was absolute ruthless brutality. But nobody takes it personally because they've worked that out as an arrangement. You can be that honest with me. I'll understand. I want you to do the same with me. And people don't realize that they can do this with their friends and family. They could do it with their workmates. 
And if anyone doesn't want to do it with them, that's actually a warning sign. Mm. You know, and that's a good warning sign. If you try to be honest with someone, they don't want to play ball. And you start thinking, well, do I actually need this person in my life? Is this the best available relationship for me in the short time that I've got on this planet? But people don't think like that. They just think, I've got to get everyone to like me. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, I think this comes at just the right time for a lot of people, for society in general. Uh, I've seen something really interesting that's kind of caught my attention, which is that I feel as though, particularly people between, say, 20s and mid-30s, have gone through a shift where they've realized that, that the world we've created is too hard. The dishonesty, the manipulation, the control, the, the, the Instagram photos, the Facebook photos, the perfect life, the keeping up with the Joneses. It's all BS, and it is exhausting BS. Mm-hmm. It consumes 90% of your energy that could be used for far better things. So they see this, they feel the anxiety, they feel the stress, they feel the pressure, and they're like, I don't, I don't want it anymore. And they either just, just delete their Facebook account, uh, and and begin calling their friends list as to who they actually want to surround themselves with. And I've seen this turn into some very interesting developments in the area of honesty. And one of them is that, like, I'll look in, at a couple, a couple relationship. I'm seeing more and more couples set up an arrangement where they're straight up honest with each other about when they want time alone. Sorry, you're not invited in on my Sunday. It's my Sunday. I'm going to doing shit. My shit. You can't come along. Sorry. You know. And and they, they agree to that. They, that keeps them healthy. That And that ability to be very forthright about actually what's going on for them is really, really healthy to the strength of that relationship. Because now everything else can be honest, too. I can tell you how I feel. I can tell you when I need space. I can tell you when I miss you and I need attention. And I've seen more and more couples where from the beginning of the relationship, they have two separate bedrooms. When I grew up, that was unthinkable, totally socially unacceptable. No one would ever do that. Now I look at it and go, it makes so much sense for a lot of people, right? I'm just, I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by that, those subtle shifts I begin seeing in relationship dynamics which is one of the places where honesty makes its rarest appearance, unfortunately, is inside of relationships. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to see where this goes. I, I You know, we've, we've talked recently about parenting and about how important that is to us to create a good world for our kids and create a good mindset for them to navigate the world. I'm really looking, I'm really hopeful that the world that they grow up in will be the world I always wanted to grow up in, right? I like helping to create that as much as I can. Person well, that's, by person. Yeah, one of the things I wanted I wanted the book to be twofold, kind of like you identified earlier, which is not only it helps the person to be honest, but also how to navigate a dishonest world. So it's not naive honesty. It's not this kind of fairy tales and everyone's going to be good to me when I do this. It's actually, I know how to spot when other people aren't doing it. And, and you know, the easiest way to learn how to prevent yourself being manipulated is to become a really honest person. Because then you'll know what it means to lie because you'll be struggling against it all the time. You'll be in an active battle with dishonesty in yourself. 
And I tell you what, it's so easy to see in others when you've been through that battle. It was the same with people pleasing, which I guess is just as honesty. But now I can spot a people pleaser from 50 yards. I just glance and like, that's one, definitely. Like, I don't even need to think about it. Partly it's shooting fish in a barrel because most people are, but what I want is, you know, for, for our children to grow up, not only being able to be very, very honest, but having the capability to deal with people who aren't very effectively. And the thing is, honesty is the one-shot cure because the best way to deal with dishonest people is to be very honest about it. It's very fucking hard to manipulate someone who's calling you out on feeling manipulated. You know, it's 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 like it's really hard for someone to be a bully if they're called a bully. They're like, you're bullying me right now. You know, it, it can still happen, but now the person doesn't have the veneer that they use to protect themselves from, from judgment from others. And this was actually, and it's interesting, about 60% of the way through the book, because it's somewhere around there, or soon it switches into talking about ruthless honesty, which is all the dials turned up to 10, and it's actually mostly as a strategy for dealing with people who either don't accept honesty, or are deliberately manipulative and deceitful, and you basically just firehose them with honesty. You blast them so hard that there's nowhere to hide. You know, an example is, I, I used to practice this with, because I used to work with these psychopaths, and they just, the movies don't do them justice. They're so subtle. You just feel like you're having a chat with a bloke from down the road without realizing you're getting played like a like a card. Like, you don't realize your whole life's being reshaped in this conversation because it just feels like a casual chat. Like, that's how good it is. But there's always like these little sort of niggles in the back of your mind, like, oh, that feels a bit off, or I feel a bit weird, or I don't want to look like a dumbass right now. And if you can be honest about those, this whole manipulation starts to fall apart. And I used to do that with these guys. I'd just be like, don't know why, but I really feel like you're manipulating me right now. And it doesn't even matter if they are or not, as long as I'm being genuine. Because if they are... It's destroyed by that. Like, how are they going to keep doing what they're doing now that it's called out? And if they aren't, it provokes an interesting discussion, at least, and we maybe connect a bit better. And it just became this, like, fuck, I don't need to think of anything else. I just call out everything all the time. And first it gets harder, and then it gets easier. We go through this rough patch after that's called out. Awkwardness, perhaps, or aggression, or something that we're all trying to avoid. And then it smooths out because now the truth's out on the table. You know, I was thinking about something you said earlier. Don't know how it prompted me, but I imagine you imagine showing up to a job and you got the wrong tools. And you're there, but you can't use anything. You got a hammer and you need a screwdriver. Being in a world of lies, especially the ones where you've lied to yourself, is you're setting yourself up to have the wrong tools for the job. You're setting yourself up to have the incorrect information required for reality. It almost blows my mind, even though I used to live this way, I don't see how people think that that's a good idea. To like, to go into any situation with the wrong information. How can that be better than going in with the right information? That doesn't make sense. And yet, somebody will talk themselves into believing in something that's untrue, and then go into the situation with their lie knowingly. And think that that's going to go well for them. 
I guess the problem is is that in terms of instant comfort, it often does go well. And that's, I think, you know, I, I make a big deal about that in the book, is sometimes it just feels good and comfortable in the moment to just drop the truth and tell something else. And the people don't realize, well, the reason I'm chronically anxious all the time and my relationships don't work out and my career is unsatisfying is because of all those little moments of comfort. You know, I'm paying a kind of debt. You know, it's like a it's like lay-by or something. You know, you get this thing and you think you get it straight away, but you don't realize you're going to have to pay it off. You know? So funny. Yeah, we, when we're talking about the experience of a child going out into the world and first being confronted with lies you know, around age five, you're talking about your your niece, I think, and the strawberry incident. And I was thinking, it's so funny because I bet what happens for a lot of kids is they are just having fun playing and experimenting with being who they are, behaving in different ways, like you did when you were a child. You described the situation where you suddenly went in very stoically and uh, and probably got a much better response from the adult. And you thought, oh. Well, that went down well. I'll do more of that then, even though it's not me. And you watch the child's you know, gears ticking over, right? And pretty soon, as they follow that path of, well, if I do things that other people respond well to, life's easier. It's more fun. It's, you know, I get, I get more attention and so on. And they don't understand the long-term cost of interest. Over the next hundred years, that is going to strangle you. I look at people who, I was, when I was a kid, I did a paper route, and I'll, I'll never forget, they were had about 100 customers, but two of them I remember like I saw them yesterday. Well, there were two old guys, lived in different parts of town. One of them was this crumpy bastard. He hated the world. He hated his life. He hated everyone. It didn't matter what I did. He hated me, you know? I'd put his newspaper exactly where he wanted, never tipped. It was even a struggle to get him to pay, right? He'd always call in anytime he felt grumpy and complain something. Another old guy, same age, I'd guess. I guess I was a kid. Happiest guy I've ever met. Absolutely loved life. Never was stressed. He never, ever, uh, you never see a frown on his face. He was just happy and at peace. And the thing I remember seeing when I had see him out in his yard, he's interacting with me, he's interacting with neighbors, he's interacting with his family. He just didn't give a fuck about what anyone else thought. He was just him. Right? He had no shame. He had no expectations. He was the most probably the most honest guy I'd ever seen in my life to that point. And you look at these two different guys, and I remember stepping back and going, how did he become that? And how did he become that? There's some decision that they made, mm. some choices somewhere in their life that led to a very different life for these two guys and a very different level of happiness. And it was very clear to me. It's like, I wanted that. I don't know how to get it. I don't know what he's done differently, but I've always had that picture in my mind. Like the moment I feel that sense of grumpiness setting in, I remember a few years ago, I was like, I'm getting kind of pissy. Mm. It's like, That's interesting. <laughs> what am I doing? What am I not acknowledging inside myself about my life, about what I want? And it was so interesting. Now I look at people that they build their entire life on a big stack of lies, right? Every detail of their life is 
uh, like you said, they use tools in an effort to manipulate the world around them in very specific ways and try to construct this perfect cake of a life. But it's, it's crap. It's total crap. They hate their life. It could fall apart at any moment. Just knock one Jenga block out and the whole thing comes crashing down in a big cascade of fury. I, I just feel sadness for them. You know, they can't, they can't live. They can never tell the truth or it all, it all unravels, right? And that would be so miserable. You know, for us, the most we've probably done is had like one lie or a particular person who we don't know how to be honest with because we hadn't developed the skills around that yet. But you look at someone who's just followed that to the obvious conclusion of, I just lie to everyone all the time about everything. No one knows who I actually am. And so many people are unhappy about it. Today, it really strikes me how many people are, you've got, you've got this small group of people who are like the Instagram models who try to present this perfect life image. And then you have a whole rest of society now who looks at that and goes, that's just embarrassing and wrong and unhappy and miserable. And I want nothing to do with it. And they're, they're developing perspective. Developing a healthier perspective. But I think it takes... One of the things the internet has probably done is shown us what it's like when someone lives their life all the way to that ultimate conclusion of just being completely full of crap, right? We've seen the Dan Blitzerian, you know, we've seen... Ah, we've seen so much. And the Instagram has brought that all to our front door. We're kind of like, yep, nope, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And we start to to see how toxic... Lies are when we live them. We could probably talk about this book all day, but I've got a very specific question for you. One of the things that I'm amazed by still is that every time I write an article, there's something new that I discover about myself, about my life. I said, holy crap, how did I not recognize that? I'm sure you had that more than once writing this book. What stands out? Uh, that is a good question, and it definitely happened multiple times. Uh, I don't know if this is answering the question, but one of the difficulties writing the book was for the writing itself, to be honest. So I didn't want to write in an idealistic way that portrayed me as someone who was pure, because that's not true. So I was like, as I'm writing a book about honesty, I have to be honest about my current dishonesty. That was a tricky part of the book because that I'm I'm quite a courageous person, so my current dishonesty is usually about a lack of awareness. And I realized the nuance, the the minor details of dishonesty. Like here's a classic one that I discovered writing the book, which I like was embarrassed as I discovered it. My wife Lucy will ask me a question. And for some reason, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know why. I'll pretend I didn't understand what she meant. And ask her again. Like, this happens in microseconds, nanoseconds. I go, what? Or what do you mean? But I actually know. And then she explains it again. And, and the closest I can come to understanding why I do this is it's some form of kind of petty punishment for her not being perfectly clear about something and it's this little thing that happens quicker that i can't even catch it just gets out of my eye fucking thing happened again 
and I was like, "Holy shit, dishonesty plays at the it plays a really small game if it has to. It will take any win it can get, kind of thing across the line." And that's, I think, one of the biggest kind of realizations I had during the writing of the book is, I guess, an empathy and acceptance of how hard it is to be honest for people. I before writing the book, I was coming from quite a hard position you can see it in the chapters about people pleasing where i'm like i don't i don't accept any of your excuses don't bullshit me don't bullshit yourself and i was coming from a place of experience i'm like i've told myself all these lies that you're currently telling yourself i won't stand for it like an an addict who works at a rehabilitation center you know i was like i know all your tricks shut up about that but I actually, as I wrote the book, I had to reconnect with how difficult that journey was for me to become more honest and just maybe have a bit of heart for the people who are trying their best and it's fucking hard. You know, a classic one that I've never had to face is the level of ruthless honesty where you actually cut a family member out of your life. Now, by pure luck, I've never had that issue. I just got a good family. That is just a hand I was dealt. I had nothing to do with it. And that is so not the norm. And I mean like extended family. Everyone I know who I'm related to is good to me, pretty much. And I have discovered since being a coach that that is incredibly rare. And most people have at least one person in their family that they're scared to go for Christmas. You know, there's this one person who can destroy uh, a family event and it's people against each other and so on and so forth. And so I, I had to develop this empathy while writing the book and I even included like an almost an entire chapter on it of like, okay, there's going to be some people you just can't bring yourself to do it. You just, whatever, maybe one day in the future, but not now. You just don't have it in you to be honest with this person. And it's not illusion. You've tried it in the past and it went so terribly that it like shocked you how bad it went. And it's likely to happen again. And at the same time, you're not willing to let this person go. So you're in this rock and a hard place. Can't be honest. Can't cut them out of my life. And so when I was writing the book, I think that was one of the hardest bits to write. I'm like, how do I support that person? Their impossible position where their courage isn't enough to be honest, but their compassion's too strong to leave. You know, family loyalty, something that I didn't actually have empathy for in terms of I've never, out of all the things in the book, that's the one thing I haven't been through. Everything else is written with elements of personal experience, some some of it extreme personal experience, but having to deal with a family member that I want nothing to do with, but feel loyal to or whatever, I've never had that. So, yeah, trying to write that bit of the book was where I had to do some real soul searching and kind of face my own like kind of egotistical high standard that I had for people and be like, no, I have to be realistic. These are humans I'm talking to. I know what it's like to be a human. I have something like that somewhere else in my life. I've got to, I've got to meet them where they are and have some compassion. Yeah. Compassion and honesty is, is, is really important. We don't need to be brutally honest in most situations unless someone is just, ignoring you know ignoring it but i've found myself in very few situations as well where that was needed but it, it actually wasn't as hard as i expected 
It was simply me saying, look, I really don't know how to deal with you. I really don't know how to you know, work around you in my life. I think it's best if we just kind of keep an arm's distance. You know, you're still part of my family, but there's no real relationship here. And that's okay. I don't hate you. I don't judge you. It's just I don't know how to work with you. And I found that that actually, oh, my God, it felt good. <laughs> I can still feel that now. You know, it's like, I don't have to work anymore to, like, keep this person happy that I have no idea how to manage. And I got to be honest. Whereas before, I was always walking on eggshells and, and manipulating by, like, trying to just keep them happy. People pleasing times 100, right? Oh, no way to live for anyone. And, of course, that colored the whole family. Everyone had to had to react the same way. Because everyone's trying to keep this one person under control. It's, uh, it's like, you know, puts puts in my mind that idea of, you know, 20 hunters trying to hold down a mammoth. Right. Kind of panic situation. Nobody let go of the rope or we're all dead, you know. That's what it felt like. And anyone that ever finds themselves in a situation like that, the way through it is honesty. It's just saying, look, you know behavior you're not invited anymore or you're making everyone miserable look look around you you know and it can still be compassionate at the same time which is which is really good so when does the book actually come out when can people buy it and where can they get it well it'll be mostly on amazon but we'll host it on the brojo website as well and it officially goes live on the first of december but before that pre-orders are available and there's some bonuses and treats that come with the pre-orders. You get the previous book and audio and um, Kindle. And then you'll also get the audio book version for free uh, if you do a pre-order. In the first 30, I don't know when we're going to publish this uh, recording. If the first 30 is still available, um, they'll, get, oh. they'll do a Q&A with me where they can ask me anything about honesty and we'll try and tackle it. I've got this kind of challenge that I want to put out to the world. I want someone to come up with a situation where I'll agree that they should be dishonest. Mm. It's yet to happen. I've yet to hear of one. But I, I try to keep myself... The idea that there's an exception to every rule, it's one of the ways for me to constantly explore honesty is, is there any situation where you can't be honest? Where that's the worst move, both short-term and long-term. Mm. You know, honesty isn't the best move long-term. I'm yet to find it partly because my whole view of honesty isn't about external results. It's about internal uh, confidence, self-worth, integrity. It's about you looking at yourself in the mirror every day and going, I'm proud to be this person. And I can't find any situation where dishonesty trumps that. But, the, uh, the thing, yeah, we'll be seeing I was going to say, the thing I love about that perspective is that it's never just about us. Right. Uh, yes, the the first concern is I'm doing this because I understand that the long term reward for me internally is massive, and the cost of being dishonest is equally massive and harmful. But I find the same is true for everyone else. If I can be honest in this situation with this person, they are way better off for it too. Even if it stings a little bit at the beginning. They're way better off for it, too. It took me a long time to develop this. It actually, I think it was becoming a coach that showed me how important it was to allow people to feel a little bit of pain 
on their journey to maximum health. It's a bit like being a doctor. You know, if a doctor was completely unwilling to give you that shot, you know, with the syringe, you're not going to be a very good doctor and everyone's going to be sick and dying because they're not able to do their job. And the thing is, it took me a while to realize that my role in the world, in, in society, is to build the best society I possibly can. It's to help each individual person live the best life possible they possibly can. It's to call out their BS. To call it my own BS, right? It's to raise my kids to be the best possible people in the world. And all that starts with having to be straight up and honest about where things are at and where they're not and where they should be and why, you know. Honesty. So simple, and yet we all struggle with it. It is simple. It is simple. Thank you, man. Um, Yeah, it's simple, but it's not. It's a lifetime to master it. You know, I'm constantly working on it, but there's a meta enjoyment. I enjoy trying to figure out how to be more honest. I enjoy every now and then I've had a situation where I walked away and I'm like, oh, I wasn't honest there. Got through my gap. Like somehow I was able to, you know, slip there. I wonder why that happened. And that's a new philosophical, you know, challenge for me to overcome. Um, but I think that's the thing you and I have both discovered. Honesty, even the honesty that hurts feelings. It's best in the long run for everyone involved um, if you can just hold that line and keep doing it. And, yeah, you and I as coaches, number one thing we do basically is call people bullshit out. And, no, they don't like that a lot of the time. That doesn't make them feel an instant warmth of happiness. But long-term, they end up being better people and they're glad it happened. And that's what's important. Yeah, personal opinion here. I everyone likes their own form of books. To to some people like paper books, some people like their ebooks. I got to say, I've I have all three. Right, I have the electronic version and I have the audio version. Love the audiobook. I've noticed that every book that I have, there's a different best version for that book. Right, right? books that have tons of charts and illustrations often don't go down well as audiobooks because you can't see what they're talking about half the time. I really, really enjoy the audio version. So if you're trying to figure out which one to invest your time in, I recommend you start there and then have the paper as a backup. And that's fantastic that you're offering both of them together as a package in the pre-sales. That, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. Can't wait to hear what you start working on as your next project. But uh, wish you the oh, best God. for this Got to finish up the three X model. So respect is next. Yeah. Respect is next. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. We'll catch up again soon. Cheers, bro. I appreciate it.